Hello and welcome to episode number 47 of The Heart of Teaching. I'm Nathan Rivers, and today's episode is entitled Health and Basketball. If you know anybody in the community that's making a difference, send us a DM on Instagram. We'll shout them out on an upcoming episode and explain their impact on the community. This week, The Heart of Teaching would like to recognize Mr. Dave Mattiazzo from St. Thomas More Collegiate in Burnaby, B.C., for his tireless work ethic, both in the classroom and on the coaching fields, as well as his commitment to the school's outreach programs to help support the marginalized in our community. Thanks, Coach Mattiazzo, for all that you do. If you haven't done so already, be sure to follow us on Instagram. The link to do so is available in the episode description. The Heart of Teaching proudly supports Mom Stop the Harm. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Welcome back to The Heart of Teaching. I'm Dave Ruzicki with my friend and producer, technical advisor, and grade 12 student, Nathan Rivers, and thanks for joining us today. In this episode, I get to interview one of my former students and football captains and friend, Darcy Grant. Now, Darcy's a very successful teacher and also a very successful girls basketball coach. He actually helped build one of the top girls basketball programs in our province, and his teams have won countless banners and also a provincial championship. Now, the success he's had athletically with his teams, this is only part of the episode. It's only part of the story. We actually talk about him overcoming some of the life-defining health challenges he faces on a daily basis and how he refuses to allow his challenges to define what he does for the young adults he teaches and coaches. Now, his commitment to his profession as a teacher and a coach is inspiring and motivational. There's some great life lessons, as well as some coaching tips. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Good morning, Darcy. How are you today? I'm well. Thanks for having me. You know what? It's... uh, it, it's a real honor to get you on here. You and I have gone back lots of years, known you since you've been nine years old, since you were walking the uh, hallways of uh, high school that I used to work at. Mom used to bring you in. So it's, uh, yeah, it's it's a real thrill for me to have that opportunity to talk with you. And we had talked off mic, but one of the reasons why, not only are you successful as a basketball coach, and we're going to talk about that and get into uh, how you built a program, program up right from the ground and, and uh, became a provincial champion, but I think probably the bigger uh, story is just your commitment to the kids because you certainly had some challenges with regard to your, uh, your health. And uh, you never let that deter you from doing what your passion was. And that was teaching and working with kids. And, you know, you and I have always had a special relationship. But I thought I'd like to talk to you about that and then uh, get some expertise on the basketball. So talk about your health and talk about what happened initially. Yeah, well, it was... Uh... It was a huge change in my life, for sure. Um, so, so the story goes, and, and uh, it was April of 2015, and I was uh, we had finished our football season, we had finished our basketball season, and uh, I was with my wife and my two young kids at the time, and they were at the park, and, and my wife and I had a bit of a routine where we would be at the park with the two kids while they played, and my wife would run and she'd run to a certain point and she'd run back and, and then I would get a chance to go. And uh, as, uh, you know, my wife returned from her first, 
leg of the run. It was my turn, and uh, uh, I took off running, and uh, about eight minutes eight minutes into the run, I, I collapsed and blacked out. And uh, At the time, I didn't know what had happened, obviously, um, and this is all kind of information that was given back to me, but what ended up happening was uh, I had cardiac arrest, and I fell flat on my face in the middle of a path, and I had a, a married couple uh, who was running behind me find me, uh, perform CPR, uh, call 911, and from there I was taken to the hospital uh, under uh, a drug-induced coma, and I was in a drug-induced coma for about three days, three and a half days, and eventually they they brought me out of it, and uh, over the next week, two to two weeks, uh, I just slowly was able to kind of regain motor skill, um, understand where I was, had a bit of amnesia at the time in terms of just my memory and and understanding where I was and who everybody around me was. And uh, it was about, fortunately, it was, I was in the hospital for only three weeks. And uh, after having almost every imaginable test uh, performed, uh, they they couldn't really understand or figure out what had happened. Um, they just knew it was cardiac arrest. And, and uh, uh, when I left the hospital, I had uh, a defibrillator put into my chest to, to hopefully you know, keep me safe if this episode ever happened again. And that kind of began the journey of, of trying to figure out what was wrong and, and try to uh, you know, understand what had happened with my body. How old were you at the time, Doris? I was 33. So oh. 33 years old with two two young kids, and and uh, yeah, it was it was scary. Like physically, it was it was it was it was a challenge um, because I and I always felt like once I had kind of come out of that drug-induced coma, you, you know, physically I had you know I had lost weight and my motor skills weren't weren't great, and that took a little bit of time. But I was progressing mentally, and I was fortunate enough, and, and, and doctors were quite unsure, and I know um, they had never said it to me, but they had, you know, prepped my family, and they had prepped my wife that, um, you know, they were unsure, you know, how long I had gone without oxygen to my brain, so they were unsure, um, you know, what would happen or how, what state I would be in if uh, if and when I came out of the coma, or out of the coma, and um you know, but I found as as I as I got healthier and I as I progressed while even while in the hospital, you know, my mind was just kind of progressing a lot faster, and I was I was getting bored, and and um, and in the end, I actually returned to work. <laughs> at, um, I went back to work after about three and a half weeks, uh, just because I I was kind of antsy and looking for something to do. So it was uh, you know it was a, it was a scary. It's a scary five weeks that I was I was off, and um, I, I think for me it wasn't it, it probably wasn't as bad as it was for my wife and as it was for my family and those who are close to me. I know I had uh, it was a uh, one evening one of uh, my colleagues I hadn't talked to in years got a hold of me and I thought she was just phoning to talk because I hadn't talked to her in about a decade, and uh, she said I just found some information. She said you may want to. Uh, you may want to go and see Darcy. And I said, what happened? And uh, she said that you were in the hospital. She didn't know all the details. So I got a hold of your mom right away. 
And uh, I didn't show up at school the next day. Like I, I phoned in. I said, I'm going to go see, you know, one of my former students. And I remember walking into the, uh, the waiting room and you were all, you had all the tubes and everything. And uh, I, I was in the room. I like, I was able to take a look at you. But it was surreal to sit in that, uh, that waiting room with your mom, your dad, uh, you know, your wife and the kids. And I was like, you know, oh, please, God, you know, this just can't be happening. But that, you know, <clears throat> holy smokes, I can't, <clears throat> this really is, uh, yeah, it, that impacted me just a ton because you realize, I mean, I knew before how fragile life is. But luckily you, uh, yeah, by the grace of God, you overcame that. And what I was shocked at, like I came back when you were conscious, we were in the hospital. I couldn't get out how, how sharp you were. Like your mom was telling me, you know, he may not remember you, Dave, and, and that. And it's like, hey, what are you doing here? And I was, oh, so it was so good. So I didn't realize it was like only three and a half weeks and you're back in the classroom. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, well, they had three and a half weeks total in, in the hospital. So maybe about four, four and a half weeks. Um, you know, where I took a little bit more time off. And I, I think a lot of people were, you know, I mean, a lot of people were kind of questioning, like, why I came back. And I just, you know, a lot of it just had to do with, I, you know, I was very bored. I had watched a lot of movies and, you know, and read while I was in the hospital. And I, you can only take so many tests and, um, and really, you know, have your body poked and prodded. But, uh, yeah, I just, you know, I... I don't know what it is about teachers, but there's always sometimes a little bit of guilt that you feel like you're away from the classroom and, you know, you you, you wanted to be there. And, and you know you had a lot of people worrying uh, about you, so you wanted to, you know, at least I wanted to um, go back. And, and, and by the time it was June, so I, I felt strong enough and I wanted to go back and, 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 and see colleagues and maybe kind of, you know, let them know that, everything was okay and and connect with them because uh, I did find there was an incredible amount of support for my school at the time and uh, you know they were they were great and um, I'm, I'm glad I did I think to the bewilderment of, of other people but uh, by then I was just I had been away so long and I was kind of antsy and and I wasn't we weren't coaching at the time and uh, it was important for me to go back for the last little bit and then Yeah, your commitment to the kids is is unbelievable. I mean, it's it's a passion for you, and that's the thing that I mean, I've always cared about you. But that's that's part of who you are. Um, do you still have the is the pacemaker in your your chest? Is it a pacemaker? Or can... It's it's kind of doubles. It's a pacemaker and a defibrillator. So that that was an interesting too, because I, I just had the cardiologist yesterday, and and um, you know, it's always it's every it's a six month checkup. And, and um, they, you know, they check it out and they can connect it and they've got a lot of power with that thing and it's got about 68% battery life left. So the, the cardiologist was telling me I've got about five more years before I go back in and, and uh, they remove the, the one that's currently in my chest and, and then they'll put a brand new one in. So, um, but that, you know, I, I, mean, I think it's easy to say it's a lifesaver. Uh, it's, I think mentally, it, been, it's made the, a huge difference in terms of, I think, how I've been able to go six years from having this having this cardiac arrest to where I am now. I mean, and I think that was the that was the most difficult thing 
for me. I think the physical stuff, I think, you know, playing football and growing up playing football and the experience, you know, different injuries and all these things, the physical stuff, you know, you can endure and you can, you can, you know, you can work through and you kind of forget what, you know, the pain of, of a test and needles and stuff like that are. But um, it, it took me a lot longer mentally just to kind of wrap my head around that I was no longer the, you know, the athlete that I was and, and I, you know, my entire identity was wrapped up in, in, in sports and it was, it was about being a, a player and an athlete and, you know, having finished university football and working out, uh, you know, three to four days a week and playing squash and, and all of these things, um, it just automatically stopped. It just, um, and I, I think since that day I haven't been, the only exercise I can get right now is, is walking at a fairly decent pace on a treadmill. Uh, I haven't been running in six years, and I don't think I'm ever going to again. And, uh, and it's, and it's, you know, I, I work out a little bit, but not as much as I can. And it's kind of just a constant, you know, trial and error to see, you know, what I can do without increasing my heart rate too much um, and putting myself back into a position of, of where um, that could happen again. But a lot of it was a lot of it was mental. A lot of it was having a, a good wife and a great wife who kind of would kick me in the butt at times, and I felt sorry for myself. And a lot of it was having great support around me um, and good doctors. And, and um, yeah, it was. But that was probably the toughest part. How, what was your mindset like? How was it? You know, being an athlete and picking yourself off the ground, kind of thing. I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot different than a game. I mean, this is life. So what what kept yeah. you going? I mean, the mindset, the mindset was, the mindset was, you know, you put your trust in the doctors completely and you let them, you know, and, and you, you had people like my, you know, my parents and, and my wife, you know, who would advocate for me when I couldn't do that, if I was in the hospital bed or whatever it was. But when I was out um, of the hospital, you know, you, you trust the, the medical help that you're, that you're getting. So I put my put my faith in them, put my put my trust in them, and uh, you know just kind of go with it. So if they said, "Hey, you got you've got this test," you know, you go into the hospital and you get the test done, and you just try to progress and you just try to figure out exactly, you know, what's going on. And um, but you know, I you know I remember times maybe a year later. It was you know the winter, maybe eight months later, and I think just the challenges of figuring out the medication, um, trying to understand, like, you know, how your, how your body works, yeah. trying to figure out, um, you know, the things you can do and the things you cannot do. Uh, and that, that was, that was difficult, right? But, um, you know, there's a few times where, especially early on, where simple things, you know, where you're carrying your kids in a sled, you know, along the snow and, you have to stop and I remember breaking down into tears because I couldn't even I had to get my wife to carry my three kids because I would run out of breath and, wow. and I would be able to carry them along and I would be able to pull them up a hill and, and, and help them go sledding and that was that, that was hard because that's never happened to me before and I've never you know I've never not been able to do that and, and there was yeah, I mean more moments you know such as that one where uh, you just feel like you, you kind of understand that it's just not uh, it's just not the same, and it was a, it was a tough pill to swallow. It was hard. So you you end up rebounding from that. 
you start moving forward and you get hit with a another health challenge yeah so i think we were coaching and we were coaching and we were in like the lower mainlands which is our, our regional tournament and and i really thought it was it was something like it was a sinus infection and uh it was you know, like I just had so much pressure in my face and in my sinuses, and I and I thought, wow, if this is what people with a, a sinus infection go through, I, I said I'm never gonna, you know, tease or 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 play down what a sinus infection is because it was just it was awful. And I just remember, you know, we were in a timeout and we were about to finish, and I think we were finishing second or third in that tournament. And, and I just remember seeing the girls, you know, hey, if we win this game, and actually, yeah, that was it. The game that we the that we played, and if we won, we would have an automatic berth into our provincial tournament. So I remember in a timeout just saying, girls, if we can win this, fantastic. We get a week, you know, where we get to practice, and then we have we get to go to the provincials. And, and, and in the end, they, it was an incredible game, uh, and we won. I remember as soon as that game was over, doing the cheer, shaking hands, getting in the car, um, calling my wife on the way and just saying, meet me at the hospital. Uh, I'm going to get checked out and uh, and have this looked at. And so that whole week, I was kind of in and out of the hospital. And uh, for about three weeks, a month, it was kind of misdiagnosed. But at the end of everything, uh, they... I found out that I had an autoimmune disease and the, the disease is called uh, granulomatosis with polyangitis, GPA heck? for short. And it's basically a, a swelling of the sinus of the sinuses. And it's something that uh, they don't really know how it happens. They don't know what causes it. Uh, they have a few theories, but um, they really don't have many answers for it. But uh, in the end, it's something that I have, and it's something that uh, I'll have for the rest of my life, and has to be now controlled with with uh, method, a drug called methotrexate, which is used in uh, fighting cancer as well. Is it is it a derivative? Of, is it something to do like with chemotherapy? This pill is like a chemo pill, kind of. It's a it's a shot. Yeah, it's a it's a shot. In all honesty, I mean, it, it's the same thing. It's um, from my understanding. So the the, the methotrexate, in how it's used with me, is, is is it's a weekly shot that I take and I I, I give myself every Friday night ish because the side effects pretty you know, they're not great for the next you know six to eight hours ish and. Um, it's the the whole purpose is to keep the autoimmune disease at bay and hopefully put it into remission. But at this point in my life, it's been I guess almost three years, and and it's it's not in remission yet. So it's a constant kind of like battle just to to keep it under control. So through all of these different challenges that you had that are you know literally one life threatening and and quality of life, you. Uh, you're still coaching. You know what? Let's be honest. I mean, there are teachers that would say either they're going to leave the profession and do something else because of, you know, the time commitment. But there's others, and, and rightly so, that say, you know, at 3.30 or 4 o'clock, I'm not well. I'm going home. And what you do is you spend your time with other people's children, and you're still coaching, and you're still making a commitment. And, you know, it's, it's something that when I look at, I mean, quite honestly, Darcy, it, it's remarkable, but it's also inspiring. And that that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you. 
and have this conversation because you, along with so many other people in this profession, have, you know, made such a commitment to to the kids and stuff. So let's swing to the basketball side of things. And you you don't just coach. You've been a very successful coach. You've won a provincial championship as a basketball coach. Now, I got to ask you, I've never asked you this. You know, I've coached you in football. You were one of my captains. Um, we, we kept in contact. That was our you know, our, our, our common link was the football and actually your mom, I guess, because your mom and I had worked together for so many years. When did you become a girls basketball coach? Because you coached football yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, yeah. I, my first sport was football. I think it's always going to be football. It's just something that, you know, it's something that I was passionate about. It's something I've been playing since the third or fourth grade and I love it. And, you know, I still... Uh, you know, I'm still around football quite a bit, and I watch it. And I've made my I've made my kids Packer fans. So, um, <laughs> so yeah. But like, you know, I love football, and I always will. And it it it, it, it gave me everything. It, you know, it, or I shouldn't say everything, but it it was you know it paid for my school. It uh, you know it, I've got a few degrees because of football, where I'm I'm not in debt. So I, I owe a lot to football and those and the coaches who've coached me. Uh, but there was a point because I was coaching football, and we were, you know, I remember finishing my teaching degree and not really having a place to coach, uh, not having a place to teach. I was kind of in limbo, and I didn't really know what to do. And um, and at the time, I was, you know, I was still living on the North Shore, so I looked for other co- football coaches that I knew, and I started in Hansworth, and I got to work at Hansworth, and we won a provincial championship there. As I was a I guess a skills a skills coach or a, a positional coach, and that was great. But at that point, I knew I wanted to coach at a higher level. I think that was double A at Hansworth, and so I, I introduced myself to John Buchanan at Carson Graham and told him that I'd like to get a job there and I'd like to coach at Carson Graham, which were at the Triple A, so they were playing the best teams in the province. And um, I ended up getting a job at Carson Graham for the year and coached. Carson and I stayed on at Carson for 10 years coaching and that was from I think you know like 2005 2006 to 2000 basically up until I had my cardiac arrest and and, uh, I stopped coaching football after that but the basketball thing came I think a year later after I worked at Carson Graham when I was I was laid off as a new teacher which was um, you know which is something in the public schools that happens for for young teachers and the next job I had was at Sutherland, and they had no football team, so I stayed on at Carson Graham coaching football. Uh, but there was a lot of things as, as I was kind of transitioning from my, I guess I don't want to say my youth, but I was transitioning from uh, being a younger man and maybe maturing a little bit. And I kind of had the foresight of, of one day saying, if I have kids, one day um, I'll, I'll hopefully I'll, I'll have a daughter. And... You know, it'd be great. And there was actually two reasons. One, I thought, well, one day I could have a daughter. And the, the other reason I thought was, well, how can, you know, how can I improve my coaching uh, for football? The idea was to see if I could do it. And what's the complete difference or you know, what's, you know, what's so different than coaching 18-year-old or 17 and 18-year-old boys, young men, is coaching 13-year-old girls. So I just thought, let's go and coach basketball. So... Um, I was lucky enough to at Sutherland that they didn't have a coach for the grade eight girls basketball team, so I volunteered, and from there it was just a great experience, and I just really, really enjoyed it. And it really, I think the experience was 
up to coach Grey Girls basketball, and it was it was it was fantastic. So you you end up moving to another school, and that school had um, didn't really well actually they had a, a boys and a girls basketball program, but the girls basketball program was kind of probably overshadowed by the boys program, and they hadn't had a ton of success. So you end up taking that program. And you end up over a period of years winning a provincial championship and putting that school on the map with regard to basketball. How did you do that? Yeah, well, it was it was funny. So when I first got to the school with Seco, and um, yeah, when I first got there, I actually I didn't coach the first year. Um, I just kind of you know removed myself a little bit. I was busy coaching at Carson. I was coaching football still. Um, you know, at that point, I still didn't have any kids, so I had a lot of free time. And or I shouldn't say free time, but I had a lot more time. And I met one individual in the name of Jeff Russell, Russell who was a, a teacher and a coach at Seacove, and he was really doing the girls' basketball. He was coaching the one team by himself, and he was coaching the senior team. So, and I got to know him, and we would talk. And yeah, for the first year, I, you know, I just kind of stood on the periphery and observed. And, um, it wasn't until the following year I actually I had a student, and you know we had talked a bit about basketball, and I would ask her and how things were going, and, and they didn't have a, a lot of success in grade eight. And, and when she was in grade nine, she came up to me and she just said, "Mr. Grant, we'd really appreciate your help, and we'd we'd like to win a game." <laughs> so I said, well, "I'm more than happy to help." I said, "I don't know if I can help you win a game, but I'm happy to uh, come and, and help you." And, and that kind of began the entire process we did. And the biggest thing was, um, you know, I remember, I think it was in that year, so Jeff and myself and another coach and Chris Weimer, who's now the women's coach at Cap University, we were chaperoning a trip to uh, a, a Europe trip. And we were chaperoning and we had had a, we had a bit of time and we, had gone off to the, the Hofbra house and I think we were in Munich and we were just sitting around a table having a bite to eat and we kind of made a promise to each other. We said, like, let's change things for the girls' basketball at Seacove. And uh, we just we kind of mapped out what we wanted to do and we knew that there were some kids who were really interested in basketball coming up in the elementary schools and we said, okay, well, let's, let's, let's give it our best shot. So when we got back, we... We fully committed to the program, and uh, at that time, yeah, the boys, you know, they kind of had the coaching, the boys, they had, you know, the support, they had money, they had everything, and the girls, you know, we were just kind of being held together um, with a couple people and a, and a couple kids, and yeah, I mean, basically from that point, uh, from when we made that commitment to the program and to each other and the promise that we were going to, we were going to, uh, change the program I think we you know over the next eight nine years we won I think something about you know 27 or 28 banners uh which were like you know regional and then kind of city banners and, and we won a provincial championship a few years later in 2017 so we had incredible success and I'd, I'd go out and say we were probably one of the you know, one of the top five programs of the province at that time in AA or AAA. So how did you do that? So you've got a, a program that's, you know, um, not not reaching its true potential. So how do you change the culture? What, what was your philosophy? I mean, we talked 
I mean, a couple times a year you come over here and we eat just a ton of sushi and we talk sports and stuff and we get caught up. So what did you do to change and get girls out to play basketball and how did you get them to be successful? So what was your philosophy and stuff? Yeah, I think there was a, you know, the, the school, it was incredibly small school, but with that said, I mean, there was, you know, there was, Seco wasn't really known for anything in terms of athletics. Um, you know, we weren't particularly strong. We had had some strong girls teams that, like soccer, but there was never really, really a, a program. It was always kind of a one-off. Um, but with that said, you know, a lot of a lot of kind of the culture building and a lot of the, you know, most of the stuff I, I copied from Bruce Langford at SFU. So um, I had known his Bruce is the head coach of the women's basketball team. Um, and he's been, for 20-some-odd years, um, he's been a mentor to me, and he's been incredibly uh, helpful with my, my growth as a basketball coach. So having him uh, to be able to, you know, ask questions of, about culture and practice and take the girls up to, to watch a practice and watch games, uh, he's, been, he's been fantastic to me and, and to Seacove. Um, so a lot of it, though, I, I kind of copied from what they did because they had had so much success. So it was li- little things, you know, if we had a meeting, the expectation was everybody was there. We, we started to build things with elementary schools and inviting them into the school and, and having them come up and just play in, in the big gym, uh, buying, you know, buying T-shirts that have Seacove and Seahawks on them, uh, little swag, things like that, feeding the girls, like buying food and just make, you know, when, when it comes to eating so that they're getting a little something that other kids might not be getting, uh, you know, little things like that. And we just tried to do a whole bunch of little things, um, you know, outside of, of the practices and we, you know, movie nights, we would, you know, take the kid, we'd fundraise and then we would take the kids in the bus to, you know, the movie theaters, we'd watch a movie and, and things like this. And, um, have big breakfasts and we we had a thing where they had to bring their own pole and we'd have breakfast cereal and milk and stuff and they could you know in the mornings and, and all of these but through all the fun stuff and all the team building uh you know we had academic progress reports so the idea would be that we're monitoring their grades and they're you know if they're struggling we're helping them with with academics and that was an expectation that they kept up good grades and, and it was really just a buy-in to uh, a brand new culture, and and through that, it helped that the kids had some basketball experience. It helped that the girls, you know, wanted to be there. A lot of girls wanted to be there, and through that, we just we started winning, and we you know we started seeing, you know, us having success at the the regional level and at the lower mainland level and everything like this. And, um, yeah, we just we we just kind of built it from there, and we would just try to you know, continually look at ways at how we can get more kids involved, how we can get more kids to do a little bit more out of season, uh, not to take away from other sports, but to kind of be continuing to develop their skills, whether it's playing in a club or it's coming in the mornings, um, and just making the things that, you know, just making the things that, uh, you know, we had never done at Seacove, uh, turning them into something Normal, something regular. Well, the the culture certainly changed dramatically. I mean, 
I remember you bringing your girls to a tournament at our school, and uh, when they uh, when they came in, just the whole dynamic of the girls. I mean, it was uh, it was impressive. They 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 were there to to win a tournament. They were there to be successful, and uh, you guys. I mean, you and your coaching staff certainly created that. I got to ask you though, because I've coached. <clears throat> excuse me, I've coached track and field, and I've you know coached female sprinters and young women. What did you find the biggest difference going from coaching young men on a football field to young women in a gymnasium and a basketball court? Or was there a difference for you? Yeah, I think so. I, I think we kind of we kind of talked a little bit about. It. I think the big the biggest difference is well, I think for me personally, you know, coaching coaching football and coaching basketball, I. You know, with football, with X's and O's, I was I was I was pretty good at, and I was able to you know you can motivate so much. And I learned a lot. I, and having you know good mentors, right, was important. And having people with experience, so like yourself and uh, John Buchanan, as far as football goes, having great mentors that you can talk to and, and ask, you know, who've done it before, who have more experience, is is incredible. So you learn a lot that way. Basketball, having Bruce Langford and having uh, the coaches who've worked with me, um, Jeff Russell, the, the Brittany Parkers who've been involved, Bill Matthews, just, you know, uh, the, the biggest thing I think is when you surround yourself with, with really good coaches and good people, right, you let them do their job and and, and that's in turn has become the reason why we've had success. Yeah. Like, really, in my mind, the biggest difference between coaching young men and Young women, I really think it's you know with with young men, they it's psychological. I really think that they you know young men need to go out and they need to perform, right? They need to have a, they need to go out and they need to play and they need to have a great game. And through that, if they have a great game, the confidence and then and then the trust follows. So you know they've performed the trust and, you know, falls, they start to kind of believe and understand, hey, we, I can do this. And then they start to buy the system and then you can work with them and things kind of, you know, progress from there. I think it's the opposite with, with young women. I think girls need to feel accepted first. I think they need to, I think they need to trust first. They need to understand that. And this is only my opinion, but they, they need to understand that, you know, you're there for them first. You're going to support them regardless if they make a mistake. Um, you're not going to bite their head off. You're going to work with them. Um, and once they once they trust you and once they buy into what you're doing, then you're going to see them perform. Right, right. It's kind of, you know, it, it's actually what you're saying is universal, whether it's a young man or a, a young woman. I mean, really, even in football, you know from playing as well. If you if you get along with that coach, you know that coach is there for you. You're going to give them 100%. But it, I guess... Coaching track and field for me and with young women, there is more of a, I found more of a, a more of a nurturing type of environment provides them with that opportunity of being successful. You know what? I, I got to throw this out though. It's interesting because I reflected on this with uh, Dave Mediazzo, who's just an awesome track coach and I go with. The girls, when you get the girls bought in, man, they are all in all the way. Like you do, they are there on time. Guys, they'll be late for meetings occasionally. You're going, what the heck? You know, or sometimes you get some boys, they flake out. You know what? The girls are like, 
the girls are the maybe it's the maturity thing, right? Girls mature faster than young men, but they're you know you're coaching young women, they buy in a hundred percent. Sometimes I wish the boys had some of that you know genetics in them. I I'm not sure if you find that in ba- same thing for yeah. you. In ba- well, I mean a lot of it too was breaking down this idea of you know yeah like we we had incredible expectations. You know we had very high expectations of our girls like when we played and. You know, and we would draw on those differences, right? You know, we would sit there and say, you, you, you know, you need to be, if, you know, if you're not at practice 15 minutes before, you know, practice officially starts, right, you're you know, kind of late, right? And, and we'd have some girls who'd show up a little bit late and stuff, but they were apologetic and, and things like this. But, you know, the biggest thing was, you know, we just, you know, we, we created a program and we created teams that you wanted to be there it was still fun. Yeah. You know, it was still enjoyable. Um, you know, the winning certainly helped. Um, you know, but, but, you know, the way we had, yeah, like the camaraderie, I think the relationships we created, um, the enjoyment of it, um, that was, you know, I think that was probably more important and the culture that we created was more important than what we actually did because, you know, we didn't promise them winning. We didn't promise them, um, you know, success, and we had uh, different philosophies for our younger kids um, in learning the game of basketball than we did with with our older kids, and we hold, held our older kids to a higher standard. But you know, we were never concerned with 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 winning. We were just concerned with doing everything we could properly and doing it the right way. And when you do that, winning takes care of itself. When you think of yeah, that. and we and we and we knew that you know with the, we've we've been playing in a lot of games and. We've lost in provincial finals at, at, at all levels, and you know, I, I, you know, you and I know what that's like in terms of our football path. But it's, but you can share that experience with them, and you realize it's it's not the end of the world. And um, yeah, like we just, it was just, we we hopefully, you know, and when looking back, we created a we created a program that kids wanted to be a part of, and it was fun, and through that, you know. They would show up and they'd work their they'd work their butt off for us. You were successful. Now you left that school. I mean, people that are outside of our province may not be aware of, but sometimes teaching positions, because of the way the funding go, goes, teachers lose positions and they move to different schools. Sometimes I just shake my head at it. And so you've got someone like yourself that's just you know incredible coach, phenomenal teacher. You're the head basketball coach, and you get. Uh, basically your your position is removed and it's like you're looking for another one so you're at a I mean you got picked up in a tenth of a second so you're now at a, a different school and you're doing it all over again aren't you you're starting kind of from scratch or how's that working starting from yeah not necessarily well not necessarily starting from scratch but yeah we're, I'm at a brand new school and you know COVID was challenging um, you know I think with the restrictions we had we were able to meet with the girls get a sense of, you know, who's interested. For me, I'm coming into a brand new school and meeting, you know, a, a brand new group of girls. And, um, you know, and, and hopefully the goal is, is was to take the first step, you know, this was last year, but to take the first step in building a culture that hasn't really existed for girls' basketball at the school. So um, I felt like we, we did that well, not great. You know, like you're just trying to figure out, you know, you're also working with other colleagues and, right. and, and, and all these things. So, 
yeah, the goal will be is yeah, in, if everything is back to normal, fingers crossed, that we we kind of start to meet and we kind of start morning workouts and and shooting and and we just trying to yeah see what we can do. But but in short, yeah, we're going from or I'm going from a uh, a program where we've established had a losing season in nine years to uh, to a team to a program. I think that won four games last year. So. It's um, it's kind of going from, yeah, the top of the mountain, and we're and we're starting over. But I'm excited for it. It's yeah. Gonna be a, it's it's going to be a challenge, and it's going to be, it's not going to be easy. But it's it's something that I'm looking forward to. And I think there's, you know, with with the school that we're at, incredibly athletic young men and young women, and I think you know once once if we can get them to buy in. Uh, I think the rest will follow, but it's just going to be kind of that buy-in, and it's going to be seeing if they can commit. And I think for me, my my own personal challenge, um, you know, to see if the past eight or nine years of coaching, or ten years of coaching, you know, girls basketball, women's basketball, it wasn't a fluke. So I get to kind of challenge myself and see if I actually know what I'm talking about. Well, I'll give you some. I'll give you some advice right now just so that, you know, I'm going to pull rank on you with regard to my age and everything. Darcy, if you've had success for nine years, that's not a fluke. Winning a tournament, sometimes you may luck out and things may go in your way. But after nine years of having success, son, let me give you some advice. That That's not a fluke. And I can guarantee you that where you are right now, not, not only are they better off as a result of having you in that building, but that team, give it, given it some time, will be successful. And, you know... The other thing that, that I think is really cool is, and again, having coached football for as many years as I have, I the whole idea of, you know, I'm a big proponent of moving female sports forward because often it's overshadowed by the guys. I mean, let's face it, and it, it shouldn't be. I mean, that's not the way it should be at all. There should be, it should be equitable right across. And, you know, anytime we get an opportunity promoting a, a woman's program and allowing the girls to have the same you know, the same kind of opportunities as boys, that's what we need to do, you know, as coaches and as educators, right? P- promote the whole equitable thing. So what you're doing with the girls' basketball is awesome. Darcy, yeah. well, thank you. I, uh, I want to thank you for this. I appreciate you taking the time. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So that'll be it for today. And, you know, I'd like to thank Darcy once again for coming on and, and talking with us. And I'd also like to recognize and thank him for his commitment to young adults. And what some of our friends down south, you may not realize, but in our province, teachers don't get paid for coaching, and it's strictly volunteer. So to have so many of my colleagues step up to support all of these different programs in our schools, from the arts to the athletics, that's very cool. And to have someone like Darcy, who's overcome his health challenges and continue to make a difference coaching, that's really inspiring. So, this is Dave Rizicki with Nathan Rivers. Thanks so much for being with us. Take care, be well, and as always, peace.